Here's what's coming up on this week's show. So not long then, Paul, for you. <laughs> I, knew, I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, I thought about not saying it. But yeah, yeah, to, yeah. How long did done. you think about not saying it for, though? About a second. <laughs> <laughs> the Beat. Welcome to the Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Manford over here. The lovely Claire Horsley over there. She's back, back from our holiday. And we're now at episode 99. Uh, more on that later. Uh, but if you're listening to us for the first time, we're the podcast that helps small businesses grow by talking about a whole bunch of things that uh, had to do with you know helping your business grow, basically. Whether you're listening for the first time or whether you're not, if you could do two things for us, that'll be great. Don't forget to hit follow so you don't miss out on future episodes. And make sure you check out all our back episodes, too, of which there are 98, Claire. So as we come towards episode 99, which is where we are now, I think it's worth saying, and we'll tell you more about this after the interview, but I think it's worth saying that we're going to be doing some very special things to celebrate our 100th episode uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But this week, we're going to deal with something that I can't believe we haven't even gone anywhere near before. I know. I, I find so often when, we, um, when we've done our episodes, we think we have ideas about other topics following on from you know each person that we interview and I'm amazed actually that this one hasn't come up before. Um, it's obvious when you know, isn't it? It really is. Just to let you into a little secret, uh, the way we put our podcast together is we start with a topic and then we go and find someone who can talk in an expert way about that topic rather than finding a guest and learning what they're all about and getting them to talk about themselves or something. Uh, so I, I can't believe this topic hasn't come up before and it's how to buy a business. I know we've done one about selling businesses, but not about buying one. Yeah, I think there's often so much focus on, you know, how to starting a business because then you can create it you know how you want to create it it can look like how you want it to look like but it does come with its challenges um you know it comes with some sacrifice as well but actually why not look at the option of purchasing one that's already been established so ross Tompkins is going to be joining us today uh ross has been in business for several years primarily as a physio but now uh amongst other things he buys businesses and in fact he's set up a business so he can buy businesses and then he consults other people and does a little bit of business coaching to help other people build their own business, sell their business or buy a new one, whatever they fancy doing. So let's find out how you buy a business. This is the Big Little Business Show. I think it might be quite nice to start, Ross, with that statistic you just told us about before we started recording, because that is a real I'm quite shocked by that, aren't you, Claire? Very. Yeah, there's a huge amount of uh, businesses that are, are available and out there. So do you mind uh, sharing again what you told us about Ross with, with that statistic? It's really powerful. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, there are currently around 6 million um, small to medium-sized businesses in the UK and an estimate of about 50,000 of them are for sale. Wow, this is really interesting because... All throughout the series of this podcast, we've been talking about people who are starting their own business from scratch. But there's a lot to be said for perhaps if you've got a little bit of money to invest, to put your hand in your pocket and buy one that's already established. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there's there's quite a there's a good reason for that as well. And it's because of the ages of the people who started the businesses. So the baby boomers, um, us basically, a lot of us started businesses um, and, and the ones now who are coming to retirement um, want to do something with that business. They don't want to just close the doors. So obviously they put it up for sale. 
But what's quite interesting is a lot of the younger generation, the millennials, um, don't want to buy a business or start a traditional business. They want to be, you know, a digital nomad or working from home or, you know, doing these very different jobs than the baby boomers like us um, would have started or can now acquire. Mm. So if you're looking to buy a business, um and, you know, for, for obviously your own reasons and to, to invest in something that is has already been successful. Is there a particular industry or type of business that you should be looking for? So, for example, if you're skilled in a certain area, or your background is in, in, in something specific. Do you think it would be sensible to look for a business within your own realm, if you like? Or do you, does it matter? Um, in theory, it doesn't matter. Business is business uh, at the end of the day. You know, if, if you've got a, a widget that you buy for X and you sell it for Y, as long as the difference is greater, then you should be able to make a profitable business. And I know lots of people out there do acquire any business in any sector, um, which they call being sector agnostic. Um, for myself, though, well, we've stayed in healthcare because that's something I'm really passionate about. It's something that I, I, I firmly believe, you know, we're making a difference to people's lives every single day. So I personally have stayed in my lane, if you like, and as a physio, healthcare is something I understand, but lots and lots of uh, businessmen out there or entrepreneurs are buying just any business that um, is available as long as it's profitable. And I guess if you're buying a business, you're going to buy everything that comes with that, including the staff who have expert knowledge in whatever it is the business is all, all about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the benefit of acquiring a business over starting a business is, as you said, Claire, you're accelerating your growth. You know, you've already buying something that's established. You don't have to go through all that startup phase. Um, so you're shortcutting um the startup phase to the established phase. That, that's that's what you're buying really when you buy a business. So what type of business do you want to be buying, Ross? Do you want a business that's like really successful and doing well? Do you want one that needs a bit of work or, or do you buy something that's on its knees? Um, people do all three, to be honest. Um, and it, it really depends on the strength of the business and the underlying problems. You know, for instance, a distressed business, the advantage to the buyer. Would be, I like the way you put that. <laughs> distressed. Yeah. Business. So, you know, a business that is distressed, and there are a lot of them at the moment, obviously, with what we've been through over the last two years. Um, the advantage to the buyer is that's probably not going to cost a lot because it's not a profitable business. The advantage to the seller is, you know, that that's probably quite a stressful situation they're in. So, they might be looking for assistance. Um, and, but coming in with a fresh pair of eyes, you can probably turn that around and make it from a you know a distressed struggling business back to profitable again and um, so then everybody wins so where would you start if you were thinking okay potentially i'd like to buy a business where, where do you go to is there a particular place online or are there any places that you could recommend that people could have have a look at to see maybe what's available to them. Is there a Facebook marketplace for business sales? Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Um, oh, is there? Yeah. I was joking. Um, so in it's an unregulated industry, but you have um, brokers, just like you have estate agents to sell houses, you have brokers to sell businesses. Oh, okay. Um, and there are a, a plethora of them in the UK and all over the world, and that's all they do. They market and sell businesses. So broker, going to a broker is one way uh, you can find a business that's for sale. 
Um, one way as well um, is just to look at your um, look at your phone because you know all of us have got an immense amount of contacts on our phone now. A lot of them are business owners, and, and they might be looking for help or they might be looking for an exit. Um, so often you'll already know someone that you could help or perhaps acquire their business. Uh, and the other thing we've done a couple of times is when we've been looking for a real strategic acquisition. So we bought a medical supplies and pharmaceuticals business a few years ago. We knew we were looking for one. It fitted really well within our group. So I looked literally had a look on Google at all of the different um, medical supplies businesses in the northeast of England, where I am. Um, found a list of them. And then I narrowed that down with, with various different um, things that we look for in a business. And then I sent them a letter in the post. Three and a half years later, you know, that, that now is, is one of the businesses in our group. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. So not only are you going out and perhaps looking for businesses that are for sale, but you can actually go and find a business that needs some help or needs some capital and isn't for sale. Exactly. Yeah, the, the average age for someone to start thinking about a retirement is 57. So usually but when someone gets to 57, they start thinking, oh, flipping heck, I'm nearly 60. haven't really done anything about my retirement yet. I probably should start making plans. So I mentioned you know, a moment ago, we, we narrowed down our list based on certain criteria. One of them is the age of the owner, because it's quite likely someone in their 30s isn't going to be uh, willing or open to an approach about buying their business because they're still in their empire building days. But if someone's in their mid 50s or older, then it's more likely that they might be thinking about retirement. So we would then approach them and say, hey, you know, we've got this group of companies. I'm not quite sure what you're thinking of doing in the future, but we'd be keen to talk. So not long then, Paul, for you. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I mean, yeah. yeah, I thought about not saying it. but it Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. How long did done. you think about not saying it for, though? About a second <laughs> okay so so if you're looking um for a business to to potentially purchase um are there certain things that you would need to be um drawing your attention to so certain things you'd need to be looking at as to you know to make to make sure basically you're making the right decision you, you're looking at, at you know the, the whole business kind of warts and all really in, in your due diligence so you really want to drill down obviously into the financials into the, the history of the business need to understand how it works to make sure that you are buying what you think you are buying. Um, one of the first businesses we bought was a physio practice. And um, on, pay, on paper, we valued it at X. But then it was only afterwards, and this was a mistake that we made early on, did I realise we, we overvalued it because the person that was working in it wasn't working standard hours. They weren't working 40 hours a week. They were doing about 60 so actually, it took one and a half people to replace them. Therefore, the profit comes down in the business. Therefore, actually, we overpaid for that for, for, for a little bit. Um, so that was a good lesson early on. So you really need to get to grips with the business, fully understand it, so you can make um, a good decision on what you think it's worth. God, that's a really interesting thing to think of. Is There's so many people who run their own business or have their own business and they're in charge of their own business, work a lot more hours than you might expect so yeah you do need to factor those little things and I guess as well one of the other things I mean I remember us talking uh, when we did our episode on how to sell a business one of the things that came up which is 
a really powerful tool that we can use now is social media. You can go and find out what these businesses are doing on social media, how strong or weak their marketing game is, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that, actually, that's one of the questions that we ask in one, you know, in, in the early sort of meetings. It's how do you get clients? Um, and the perfect answer really is um, we don't do anything. And, you know, that they just come to us. It's organic because one, that shows you it's a strong business. Um, but two, it shows you that if you put a little bit of marketing in there, you can grow it um, because they're not doing any. I know you said about a broker earlier on who you can go to to uh, find businesses that are already for sale. But if you want someone to can you is there someone who can go and maybe do all this research for you, like almost like a wedding planner for business buyers? Um, we you, we outsourced it actually to a VA um, in the early days. So we just gave the VA a, um, a strict criteria of what we were looking for, gave them the tools so they could go and research. And then and they went off and came back with a list of however many companies in each industry. Oh, okay. So you don't need to have somebody that's specialised in in buying businesses. It could be as long as you give clear instructions and what you're looking for. It can be done by, um, yeah, VA or a PA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you know the the criteria are your own. They're not sort of like you know specific to the the art of buying businesses, if you like. So not like you have to go to a, to a broker for that. Like you, you will decide what you're looking for. You know, are you looking for a barber's? Are you looking for a, a, a facilities management company? Are you looking for a medical supplies company? So that's the first obviously barrier. And then after that, you then want to decide, well, how big a company is it? You know, and do you want to measure that in um, turnover? Do you want to measure it in net profit? Do you want to measure it in how many employees they've got? Is it, you know, geographical spread? Uh, How many bases have they got or sites? So they're things that you control. So obviously you're the best person to do that research or tell us or give someone that criteria and they'll go out and do it for you. Mm. So, so you've, um, Fast forward to that now you found a business that's interested, you know, you to, to want to know a little bit more. You mentioned before that you sent a letter to uh, a business. Um, yeah, if we, if we found them, then we'll just reach out to them. Um, now, if it's, some, if it's someone we know through somebody else or if I'm connected to them on social media, maybe LinkedIn, I might reach out to them directly on LinkedIn. Um, if I don't have any other way of con- connecting with them, um, we'll often send them a letter because it's quite of a, it's a bit of a pattern interrupt now. You know, we don't often get many letters through the post. Um, so everything's turned on its head. We used to get tons and tons of posts and email was a novelty. And now we get tons and tons of spam emails and post is a novelty. So we send out um, letters, you know, hand-signed, handwritten address on the front, bright red envelope. Um, so it's noticeable um, with just a, a letter just saying, hey, you know, do you fancy getting together for a chat? That's a really good approach. Not, I'd not thought about that before. But yes, you're right, Ross. It's unusual to get that kind of a letter now mm-hmm. that's actually you're properly been um, not handwritten, but hand curated, if you like, rather than like everything I just get through the post is either bills or Amazon deliveries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and still, you know, the occasional bits of junk mail that you just throw away. I, I'm kind of comparing this, and I guess there are a lot of comparisons to sort of almost like buying a house. So when you've decided what house you want to buy, the first thing you need to do is put your hand in your pocket and go and have a survey done and spend some money that you might potentially not get back if you pull out of the uh, of the sale. Is there a similar sort of thing that you need to think about when you're buying a business? That, um, you know, the equivalent of a survey, I guess, would be your due diligence. So 
Um, and you do your basic due diligence, you normally do that yourself or your team would do it. So we've, we've got our finance manager and uh, accountants so that they'll, they'll help with that. Um, and then once you go th- after that, you'll go to the heads of term phase, which is where you, basically that's the contract that agrees what both parties are going to do. We're going to sell you know, 100% of the shares, 80% of the shares. We're going to buy 100% of the shares, 80% of the shares. And at that point, you'd enter into a period of exclusivity where you say, right, for the next three months, you're not going to approach any more buyers and we're going to be you know, invested in this process. And that's a chance for, for deeper due diligence where you will more than likely get your um, legal team and your accountants involved to start digging into the, you know, the depth of history of that company to make sure you're not buying something that could cause a problem for you in the future. And that's when you can start incurring costs. So uh, you've signed on the, on the dotted line, you've, you've purchased this business. Um, what, what would be the next couple of steps that you would need to do or does it depend on the type of business maybe that you've purchased or are there a couple of pointers that you could give if somebody's looking to do this yeah i would say that's when really the hard work begins the the easiest bit in many ways is actually acquiring a business um the integration piece the change management for you know taking over um steering it in a new direction if that's what you want to do or just steadying the ship is the hardest bit because um humans inevitably don't like change so when a business is acquired the existing team or always feel a little bit uneasy um, so, so that's the most difficult thing i think really is 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 making sure everyone knows that you know nothing's going to change for the worse it's only going to get better there'll be more opportunities um so and again then that comes back to how good your team is um to, to help navigate that that change period what about if it goes wrong though what what happens if there is a I mean, I guess once you've signed on the dotted line, there's no going back to a degree. Or is there a, a, a going back? I don't know. Um, it, it depends. I mean, there are some new insurance policies coming out now where you can insure the deal. So if something does go wrong, you can get your money back. Oh, those insurance people think of everything, don't they? There's insurance <laughs> yeah, for everything, yeah. even that. Get, get this. I was talking to someone the other day. They're going to insure the sun. What? When you go on holiday yeah, and they'll look at the average over the last however long you know 10 years of how much sunshine you should have every day when you're there Um, and if you have less than the average sunshine you'll get your um you'll get your money back or the same holiday you're joking that is crazy that is crazy you go to the dominican republic claire um (laughs) and you turn up and it's pissing down for two weeks you can get your money back. Yeah, exactly. well how about this then i was actually out on a boat and there was no rain forecast and we were stuck in a tropical storm at sea so does that count yeah should have had your policy right there shouldn't you <laughs> should yeah. have done yeah you see too late now um but to go back to your question yeah so so um, we haven't had anything go wrong yet um drastically so so i can't really comment on that okay well that's a good thing i mean i guess it must happen though oh, yeah 100 percent. i mean you get you know you will find um skeletons in the closet and things like that but i mean that's why you have you know your legal team there and your your financial team to do their due diligence um so you know in that in that process you will often find certain things that have happened over the last few years and you then include that in the contract so they're called your warranties so you would warrant against something happening so if Mr. X comes back in the future to sue the company, well, that's not our fault. You know, that's yours. So that's that would go back to the previous owner. And these are all things that you negotiate in the contract. Right. Okay. So um, I mean, then when we had this episode before about selling a business, there was a 
almost a transitional period where the director stays on uh, for a certain amount of time, just a sort of almost like a sort of a, a handing over period. Um, now, does that change depending on the type of business or the sign of the bu- size of the business? Or I, I think I remember, Claire, it was about six months. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I think, yeah, it was, it was six months. Yeah. So, I mean, when you when you purchase a business, is that a standard, would you say, like a six months transitional sort of handover, if you like? Or does it depend on the individual? Yeah, it depends on the individual, it depends on the business, it depends whether it's a new business for you, whether you're bolting it into an existing business. So for instance, we've acquired three um, domiciliary care businesses um, and each one of those that we acquire, we've got another two lined up for this this year already. And obviously every time one comes into the group, the group gets stronger and we know more about that sector. So in theory, it's easier and easier and easier uh, for those to form a group. So there should be less of a handover period necessary from a, a business operations point of view. So that then means the main function of the departing owner, if they are leaving the business um, and not staying on in some capacity, their main function is really to, to smooth over the handover. It's to make sure the, all of the team, you know, the staff know that you're a safe pair of hands. Nobody's going to get sacked. It's just a good thing. There'll be more opportunity, you know, and then doing the same with the suppliers as well um, and the clients. So for someone who's done both, as in bought established businesses and started a business your own from scratch which in your opinion is better mm, that completely completely depends it's i don't think either one of them is necessarily better uh, buying one is certainly faster you know you can buy a cash flowing asset at the end of the day yeah you know so it, that has its advantages um but i do enjoy startups as well you know because that that can be exactly what you want it to be in some ways yeah 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 exactly you're starting from the beginning and i guess i don't know i mean how do you feel about the businesses that you own that you've bought are you as emotionally invested in those than you are with the ones that you've built from the ground up or not that's a really really good question paul thanks don't give him a big ace so he's taken 99 episodes for goodness (laughs) sakes (laughs) um yeah just as emotionally invested um because obviously you, you want all of them to be a success um the difference from starting one to acquiring one is I think in the, in the structure of the business. So our first business that we've now sold, it was kind of built upside down in some ways. And I mean that because I, you know, I started it and then my wife came to join us in it, Joanne. Um, And as we grew that up and as the team got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, everyone still knew me and Joanne as the main point of contact. So when someone's, computer didn't work, turn on when they came into work in the morning they would still call me or joanne and say my computer doesn't work we say well have you called your manager um no well have you put a ticket in with it uh no well well you know i'd be like well i'm on the golf course so <laughs> I, can't, I can't really help um but so so the, the and the difference is when you acquire a business at the very start you know you can say well i'm not going to be here every day because um that's not my role here my role is to go and acquire further businesses to you know to catapult the business forward with these bolt on acquisitions so i'm not going to be here every day you know that means i'm not going to be answering the phone um uh, w- with you every day that doesn't mean i don't care it just means i'm working on the business not in the business um, so that's a really big difference, I think, between starting one and acquiring one. It, it kind of 
frees you up to focus on those bigger strategic pieces. And that's a good tip, isn't it, Claire? This has come up time and time again when you're forming a business from the beginning Mm. is to think about what you want to happen at the end, where that goes. If you want to retire and sell sell your business, you don't want to be building a business that's relying on you as the front face of that business because at some Mm. point you've got to hand it over. Yeah, 100%. That's one of the things... As you know, know, we do some mentoring as well for business owners. And that's one of the things we teach them is the difference between a lifestyle business and a scalable company that is capable of being sold in the future. Because one of the issues with selling a lifestyle company is the value goes down because the owner is still so integral to the business. But if you can separate yourself from it, the value of the business goes up because it's less of a risk to the buyer coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, really interesting. Okay, so in summary, what would be, Ross, your top um, three tips to somebody who's potentially looking to buy a business? First thing is definitely don't discount it. And a, a lot of people, especially you know smaller businesses, will think, well, that's not for us. That's just for the you know the big PLCs and the bigger companies. But that's absolutely not true. You know, you. you you can do this at any any stage of business. You know, to, a business turning over a hundred thousand pounds could merge with another business doing a hundred thousand pounds, or even ten or five or wherever. And you know, it, there really is. You can start from anywhere. So the first thing is don't discount it. Um, second thing is to get out there and just start having conversations because it's very easy to to procrastinate and getting your stuck in your own head and thinking that you can't do it because you're a you know a physio or a, a dentist or a, um, a carpenter or whatever whatever you do as a job and you think well I can't buy a business because I'm a physio but actually get out there have conversations because it gets easier and easier and easier. Um, and the third thing is, is talk to people that have done it because, you know, there's no quicker way to learn than by, by talking to someone who's had the experience. Exactly. And we'll come on to that in a second, Ross, because that's a really good point. And if people want to quiz you for uh, some ideas and some helps, if they think help, if they're thinking of potentially buying a business, I can imagine it could be quite scary. Was it scary for you, Ross, when you thought about doing your first sort of transition? Uh, I would love to say no, not at all. Um, but yes, of course. <laughs> um <laughs> It, you know, you, you start thinking about it, put the wheels in motion. Um, but yeah, it, it, there was you know, a lot of trepidation at the beginning because, yeah, part of you was thinking, oh my God, you know, I've never done this before. And what if something goes wrong? But yeah, we've acquired seven now and, um, you know, continuing to learn with each acquisition. Um, we should do another three this year. That that, that looks likely. Um, it's getting easier and easier. So, but without a doubt, yeah, it was full of. Um, fear and procrastination and trepidation at the beginning we come to that point in the podcast where we have five questions to ask you ross uh, have you primed him for this claire yes. by the way because i haven't i've said that yes. good <laughs> that's all right yeah that's all right as long as he's ready five questions that you don't um have that don't have any uh, relevance to the topic of the podcast today but just fun um uh, we've done this 99 times so don't worry you're in safe hands um ross what's your favorite smell um i did only get this about Half an hour ago. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> um, so my, it would be something in nature, I think. Pine needles or maybe freshly cut grass, something like that. I love, I love being outside in nature, so something of that nature. Yeah, grass is a really popular one, but we've never had pine needles before, and that seems like a really obvious one too. It does. Magic Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what about your favourite biscuit, Russ? That's dead easy. Hobnob. Oh, do you know, that's a controversial one because it's never been Ooh. mentioned before. 
I don't think it's been really? mentioned before. Ninety nine times, surely. I, 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 I thought that so. was like the, the nation's favourite. It's one of those um, questions that actually we haven't changed in ninety nine nine episodes, have we, Claire? No, we haven't. But uh, Jaffa cakes is definitely up there uh, with one of the favourite biscuits and um, digestives. Surely, surely a hobnob and a Jaffa cake doesn't even compare. Well, <laughs> oh, you'd be amazed. I'm with you, Ross. I can take or leave a hobnob if I'm honest. If that, and that really? one, quite off, yeah. <laughs> it makes me sound like a real weirdo. Weirdo. I don't think. I think jaffa cakes are funny one because it's not really a biscuit. Oh my gosh! Wow, we've had we've had this debate, Ross. Yeah. Do you, really? do you know about the court case, Ross? No. Oh, it went to court, and I think it was something to do with because we had this come up in an episode. I think it was um, Brett Sanders talking about uh, his natural deodorant, and we were talking about the jaffa cake thing, and um, I think because. I think it's McVitie's who make Jaffa cakes, isn't it? Because they uh, were marketing it as a cake and it lives in the biscuit aisle, there was some controversy over whether it was a biscuit or a cake. And I think you have to pay VAT on biscuits, but not on cakes. And McVitie's were like, no, this is a cake, not a biscuit. So I actually went to court to determine whether it was a biscuit or a cake. And there was a formula they came out with to determine whether it was one or the other. And McVitie's won, and it is officially a cake. Well, I, I think that's it's, it's obvious, go, isn't Ross. it, really? I think the formula is if you can dunk it in a cup of tea, it's a biscuit, and otherwise it's a cake. Because you couldn't dunk a, dunk, a, dunk a Jaffa cake in a cup of tea, would you? Well, you could dunk anything in a cup of tea. You could dunk a bit of chicken in a cup of tea. Oh, mm. <laughs> now that's not right now that is odd Ross that is odd <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm definitely not shying away from potentially doing that if I can in a few years time absolutely because I can see what you were saying Ross the value of purchasing something that's already up and running so I've done I've worked with startups and I started my own business from scratch and I know how difficult that is and you have to often make a go over a lot of hurdles to get get it to a point, you know, where it's making a good profit. So I can see the value in purchasing a business that's already in profit. And I know you've made it seem quite easy, Ross, um, as it is just like just like popping down to Tesco's and buying a packet of hobnobs. But it's, um, it, it, I guess there are lots of uh, pitfalls, so it's good to get advice. And on that note, Ross, I know you do lots of uh, mentoring and help other businesses to grow and help other businesses to buy other businesses. So where can people get in touch with you? Um, best places on LinkedIn. Just find me, Ross Tompkins, on LinkedIn uh, or our website, which is tdhcapital.co.uk. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. I love the way that Ross explained about the benefits of purchasing a business against starting up your own. Um, it was a really balanced, I think, opinion and uh, really interesting. So you can actually see that the positives and negatives of both aspects, but actually then what is involved with with purchasing a business and the sort of things that you need to be thinking about that you wouldn't otherwise think about if you're starting your own, for example. He made it sound actually like it was quite an easy thing to do. And I know uh, it's mm. not as easy as perhaps he might have alluded to, but um, he's got such a calm way about him that he kind of makes it sound a little bit matter of fact. Like I said, it's a bit like for him popping down to Tesco and buying a packet of hobnobs. It's it's a really, um, it's a simple task for him. But I guess it's a lot more complicated than he makes it out to be. Um, but he did explain it really clearly. I think it's a great start, isn't it? To This is often the thing in business, isn't it? It's opening your mind up to, up to what's possible 
so you can sort of dip your toe in the water and start thinking about it and then the finer details can come later on down the line it, you know when you're when you're a little bit more informed but it's definitely got me excited if I'm honest about purchasing business absolutely it's something that I hadn't really seriously considered before so and I love the way he put things across in simple terms for me which is always helpful <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying nothing say I'm saying nothing at all <laughs> Uh, but yes, really interesting. And thank you to Ross for joining us and um, putting that one um, into plain English. And if you want to get in touch with Ross, then you can find him on the, well, LinkedIn's the best way. And uh, we need to talk about what we're doing on our next episode because Claire and I have been doing this thing for just over two years now. Uh, we're now getting towards episode 100. And I did say to Claire at the beginning mm. when we started this podcast because we started this podcast at the beginning of the first lockdown in 2020 and we actually haven't done I think we've only done one podcast where we've actually physically been together in the same space yes. and that was our first anniversary where we actually went for a walk and did our podcast walking in the countryside yes. but I did promise Claire from the beginning that actually one day we'll do a podcast in an actual radio studio I know so that's what we're going to do and you've you remembered I was, I've always been fascinated by how these things work so I'm using that word again some of you is fascinated but I, I am genuinely interested in how these things work and doing the podcast which has been completely alien to me as you know has uh, really shown me an appreciation for, for audio and how we can communicate our messages through radio yes exactly so our next episode will be in an actual studio facing one another that's <laughs> going to be weird isn't it I'm going to punch you in the face <laughs> Uh, please don't do that. Uh, maybe that'll be the episode where we fall out. No, we haven't fallen out yet. Let's keep it going. <laughs> no, I'm sure we'll be fine. I'm sure we'll be fine. There'll be some other new things and things we have never done before in episode 100. So make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you hit follow on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss out on it. And make sure you head back and listen to all those other episodes. And that's it. We're out of here. Say goodbye, Claire. Bye-bye. The Beat. You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. 